Hello, and welcome to the Community Matters Podcast. Today's topic is building leadership for the long haul, featuring Mylan Wall from the Heartland Center for Leadership Development. This event was originally recorded with a visual component, but we think the audio you're about to hear stands on its own. You may hear references to presentation slides throughout the recording. If you'd like to see these visuals, please visit communitymatters.org. Enjoy! Our speaker, Mylan Wall, is a founder and co-director of the Heartland Center for Leadership Development located in Nebraska, in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, which is um, not far from the small town where he grew up. The center conducts extensive research on keys to thriving communities and effective leadership. Mylan also has been a strategic planning consultant for over 25 years. He's co-authored a number of publications on rural community survival and leadership. You might want to check into some of those. In this webinar, Mylan will talk about how leadership has evolved over time, describe characteristics of effective local leaders, and how they operate in different conditions. He'll also take us through the roles and responsibilities for community action and offer tips for recruiting and developing new leaders in a changing world. Welcome, Mylan. Take it away. Okay. Thanks very much, Fran, for that uh, generous introduction. And uh, uh, as with you, I'm really impressed that we have such a great turnout for today's session. This is going to be a whole lot of fun. What we're going to talk about today, as Fran indicated, are a number of items that, through our work at the Heartland Center, both in research and in practice, cover some of the things that we think are really critical to how you strengthen capacity in small towns and rural communities. While our focus is smaller communities, let me just say that uh, we have shared our learnings in urban settings as well. So if you're from a larger community, stay tuned. And I hope that what you'll find out is that, for the most part, what we'll be covering today will fit your community setting, no matter how small or how large it may be. So on the screen right now are the learning objectives for today. Just take a quick look at those. As Fran said, as we move through the next 75 minutes, we'll have a number of opportunities for you to engage in some sharing about what you're learning. And then at the end, we'll have an opportunity, a kind of wide open opportunity for you to type in questions, comments that uh, I can try to address as they pop up on the screen. So with that, um, maybe we ought to spend just a, a second or two on definitions of leadership. I was a fan of Peter Drucker uh, over um, the period of years that his uh, uh, career and mine intersected, not face-to-face, -face, but through his writings. Uh, he had a very simple definition, a leader has followers. Um, John Cotter, who teaches at the JFK School at Harvard University, 
uh, has a little bit more uh, comprehensive approach, moving people to some place uh, where they want to be, and uh, and helping those who want to be generally better off in the process. We have our own definition of leadership at the Heartland Center, and you can see what that is. And um, in general, there are a wide variety of definitions of leadership. The ones that I like are those definitions that indicate that there's a dynamic relationship uh, between leaders and those who surround them. And to be very blunt, while I'm an admirer of uh, Rucker's writings, I don't think of leadership so much as leader versus follower, rather as um, people who work together sharing different leadership roles to reach a common objective. And I think you'll see that kind of flavor as today's webinar plays out. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I thought it might be interesting just to take a moment and talk a little bit about how theories about leadership and how it plays out have changed over time. So probably the first major batch of theory about uh, how leadership works and how leadership gets defined is related to what people are born with that they bring into the world that may help define them as leaders. So this is sort of a notion that uh, leaders are born, not made. Today we find ourselves talking a lot more about how that has flipped around. Um, most people today who are writing about leadership would say the opposite. They would say leaders are made, not born. And I think we'll find out more about that as we engage in talking about leadership as we move along. But um, the thing that is... Um, Interesting to me is that you have a, a lot of definitions of leadership that started with what a person can or could do that makes a significant difference, and then you move into a situation where we begin to talk about how leadership gets played out in a group or a team setting. So um, what I want to do is say just a bit more about how this, how that gets played out. And um, uh, if I could um, just uh, pause for a minute and say to you, but I, I lost my Internet connection, so in a minute I'm going to ask you to change slides. But... We're fine just the way we are at the moment. Situational leadership talks about how uh, leaders impact on those around them and how the situation they're in impacts on their leadership. And um, one of the things that is interesting about this definition is that it always 
puts the leader in a certain place at a certain time with a certain set of con conditions surrounding her or him. Uh, effective leadership theory says that there are two principal dimensions to how leadership gets played out. And in the simplest terms, those dimensions are, uh, in my version at least, task versus maintenance. Task uh, refers to what we're trying to get done, and the maintenance aspect of leadership refers to how we feel about what we're getting done. And then contingency models tend to combine multiple theories. So, but if you can switch to the next um, slide for me. The second history of leadership research, thanks. Non-leader leadership um, is more in tune with where a lot of leadership theorists are today. Essentially, this says um, that there are many leaders, and uh, leaders get leadership gets played out in a variety of ways, in a variety of roles, and um, we're going to talk a whole lot more about that in just a minute. Um, a lot of today's focus also is on things like uh, what's the difference between leaders and managers, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, I expect momentarily we're going to hear quite a bit about um, what you think leaders are like and how they behave and what they do, so I won't say more about that. Uh, we'll say just a bit about transformational leadership and Transformational leadership is a whole lot about how leaders and those around them interact. And so um, we have a, a whole variety of ways that leaders, I'll use the term followers, in this instance, build on one another. And, um, and we'll just talk about and learn a whole lot more about that in just a minute. So, uh, but if you switch to the next slide, we have a little exercise right now that I want you to participate in, and this will require you to um, use one of the chat boxes that um, Bud is going to put up momentarily. And that is, uh, what I want you to do is Think about the um, question of what characteristics would come to mind if you pictured right now someone that you would consider to be a leader. So you see that going up uh, at the top of the screen. Think of a leader that you've known personally. What made that person come to mind? So Paul's already said leaders listen. Great. Jason says, leaders are steady. Ken, taking time to understand. Humility. Uh, Karen says, vision. Uh, second Karen says, trustworthy. Good. Humility. Inspiration. Charismatic. Uh, cared about team members' input, input, not just the end product. So there's a notion that leaders are those who have a process, not just a product focus. Goes the extra mile. A coach, good, I love that term. Able to share the vision, very, very important, Bill. 
because I think it's more than just announcing a vision, but getting to a common vision. We'll get into that a bit more. And that says leaders are knowledgeable. All of the above. Good, Andrea. <laughs> uh, Kim reminds us that there's a whole body of theory about servant leadership. Love that. Jill, holding people accountable, you bet. We're going to uh, probably hear a lot about communication and how it goes two ways. So earlier we heard about listening. Uh, Jessica reminds us about uh, aspects of communication from the effectiveness point of view. Leaders are patient, problem solvers, doers, good. Uh, Josh says, yep, ditto to the coach idea. Uh, Guy says leaders are adaptable and um, authentic. Love that. Um, one of my mentors in the leadership business was a great guy who taught at the University of Minnesota, Bob Terry. Uh, he wrote a whole book about authentic leadership a number of years ago. That uh, is one of my favorite books on how leadership gets defined and how leadership gets carried out. <laughs> Mia reminds us leaders are only human. Very, very good, uh, Mia, because, you know, if you look at this great list, and uh, and we have lots of wonderful ideas here, uh, leaders are, fo are followers or equals, great. Yeah, if you haven't seen the Dancing Shirtless Guy video, go to YouTube and look it up, by the way. It's a great video. So uh, leaders can admit their mistakes, um, leaders collaborate, leaders um, are encouraging. Um, the video is, uh, somebody typed in the actual name of the video, it's Dancing Shirtless Guy was Rocky's reference, um, and um, I don't, I think if you go to YouTube and Type that in, you'll find it. Uh, it's it's a uh, you, you'll you'll laugh a lot through it, but it has a good lesson behind it. So what I was uh, there, you go. Thanks, Ariana. Right there. Just click on that if you want, but not now. <laughs> uh, one of the things that this kind of a list reminds me of is that um, what leaders do is comprehensive, but when you look at this kind of list, it's uh, so comprehensive that we want to be careful not to assume that all leaders need to be all of these things all the time. This reinforces for me the notion that leadership is a shared responsibility. So again, in my terminology, it, it happens in group or team settings a lot more than just one real smart gal or guy uh, standing at the podium and making pronouncements. So um, very, very good. That was great. So, But if you want to pull that um, out of the screen, and we'll go back to the slides, the next one of which uh, is titled Leadership is in the Eye of the Follower. This comes from research by a couple of academics in California, Kuzis and Posner, who have been doing leaders, 
or research on how leadership gets gets played out. They've been doing this research uh, for, I think, nearly 30 years. I first came across it in 1987. They have uh, interviewed and surveyed virtually thousands of leaders in a variety of organizational settings now worldwide. And on your screen, here are the characteristics that come up most often as they do this research. So, um, you know, several of you had references to vision, for example, while in their terminology being forward-looking. Uh, we heard uh, knowledgeable, well, competence is the word that Kuzis and Posner used. Uh, we heard uh, that um, leaders are authentic and maybe honesty is a part of that. Uh, I think we saw a lot of references to what these um, authors refer to as inspiration. What this adds up to, according to Kuzis and Posner, is credibility, and I think we saw that in your list as well. And um, what Kuzis and Posner have concluded out of their research is that <coughs> leadership gets carried out day to day and how leaders practice their leadership roles. So what you see on the screen now are five leadership practices that um, Kuzis and Posner have um, synthesized out of their research. And those five practices are challenging, inspiring, enabling, modeling, and encouraging. And so what these represent are five ways that leadership gets carried out day to day in how leaders relate to others. So I'm going to review this uh, really quickly with you and uh, then um, we're going to put up a, a screen that has polls on it that asks you to respond to how you view your own leadership strengths compared to these five practices. Uh, challenging, um, you know, challenging. These are the uh, these are the days when we say um, it, it doesn't have to be the same way it's always been done. So the challengers are the ones who are good at saying, um, let's try it a little different this time. Let's, not, let's just not do it the same old way. Inspiring um, well, in your I lists, I saw a lot of references to what I would think of as inspiring. And so uh, motivational kinds of things. Um, uh, helping people understand how what they're doing fits into the whole picture, I think, is a part of the inspiring kind of notion. Enabling, uh, we probably pretty much understand what this is about, but this is where you make sure that those around you feel like 
it, it's available to them to contribute in ways that fit their own skills. Modeling, what do we call that, uh, walk on the talk or something like that. And then encouraging, earlier I mentioned the uh, aspects of this that have to do with um, making sure people feel good about what they're doing, and that's a part of this encouraging notion. So now, um, Bud, if you can, can you put up the next slide? I've lost uh, slide access. Thanks. Um, so what we're going to ask you to do in a minute is we're going to move uh, five boxes into the screen. We're going to ask you to rate yourself on these five practices. Uh, challenging, do you think that your skill level is high, medium, or low? Same with inspiring, enabling, modeling, and so forth. So let me ask um, Bud if he can move those. There we go. Look, it's magic. So what we're going to do uh, is ask each of you just on these five scales to select low, medium, or high. And uh, you can see how this works. The uh, votes are coming in. And so on uh, challenging the process, we have uh, a half of you or more who say you feel pretty good about uh, how you do that on a high scale, and quite a few of you in the medium scale. Um, inspiring a shared vision, about half and half. As um, as uh, medium to high, and then um, on the modeling the way. Um, here we have uh, uh, more than half of you right in the middle of that scale. Enabling about uh, split between medium and high. It looks like some of you on the low end. I'm really pleased to see encourage in the heart, as uh, so many of you on the high end of that. I have to I have to admit that um, this is the one I struggle with because um, uh, my personality preferences would indicate that I sort of feel like if everybody does the job they're supposed to do, that's what they were supposed to do. Let's move on, and so I really have to work at. Uh, this one myself. I wouldn't put myself as high as uh, more than half of you did. But uh, I'm really pleased to see the the spread across all five of these indicators. And uh, again, what this represents is how leadership gets played out day-to-day -day according to the the uh, theories and the research of Kuzis and Posner. So that's fun. Uh, uh, let's close in the polls. And so um, we're going to pull those off the screen in just a minute and, and move on to another way to think about how leadership gets played out. I borrowed uh, this metaphor from Thomas Cronin, who teaches leadership at Colorado College in Colorado Springs. Uh, Conan, uh, Cronin rather says that leadership 
In a community setting, gets carried out on a stage in three acts. And his three acts are defined by, uh, first, the troublemakers are on the stage, and uh, these folks are uh, making a lot of noise, creating some chaos, making other people nervous, trying to uh, shake loose where we may be stuck and get a lot of new ideas into the mix. So uh, they're out, when they're on the stage, there's uh, a whole lot of action going on. Uh, when they exit the stage, the movement organizers or agenda setters come on the stage. And these are the people that can pick through all of the crazy ideas the troublemakers were throwing around find the real gems uh, that are in that long, long list and uh, amidst all that noise, and then help people congregate around, uh, collaborate around an agenda that has a manageable number of priorities. And then when the movement organizers disappear from the stage, the power brokers come on, and the power brokers know where the resources are and know how to leverage them. And those resources may be human resources, they may be financial resources, or they may, may fit into uh, broader aspects of community capitals, uh, the way Flora and Flora define them as uh, resources defined in a whole variety of ways, including political, uh, natural, built, and so forth. So we, the point is we need all these people uh, who play these different roles. And what uh, I heard Cronin say in one of his presentations a number of years ago was, as we think about the way leadership gets played out in a community setting, it's important for us not to get stuck in one role or another. His point was that if we're always playing uh, the role of the troublemaker, uh, eventually people will just expect us to do that all the time, and they may uh, get out of the practice or habit of listening to us. The same as if we're the agenda setters or the power brokers. So Cronin's advice was to uh, change these roles around a bit make sure that people get a chance to play different roles from time to time in a, uh, in a community setting. And then you have the shared leadership model that we've kind of emphasized uh, back and forth since we started down this road together today. And then finally, um, Referring to uh, John Cotter again, uh, one of the things that he wrote about that I thought was very intriguing in terms of the difference between management and, uh, and leadership is this. Uh, he said, managers cope with complexity, but leaderships, leadership copes with change. And, and I like this because I do think that it's a good representation of how uh, 
roles, and, you know, management is a leadership role as well, of course, but for the purposes of uh, definition, what we're trying to do is distinguish a little bit between the two. And so, you know, managers have to think about today's complexities. Leadership needs to focus on what's going to change tomorrow that we need to be prepared for today. And so um, we're going to get into this in in a bit more in a little bit, but I think this is a a nice contrast, theoretical contrast at least, maybe contrast in practice between management and leadership. And now I'm going to borrow from another of my uh, favorite uh, authors about uh, leadership. Uh, Some of you may remember the name Malcolm Knowles. Knowles was known mainly as the inventor of uh, adult education theory. Uh, But he also had some interesting views about how uh, organizations behave, and I've just kind of a, a, a borrowed his notion of static versus innovative organizations and uh, apply that to communities. So what he said about uh, static places is that they tend to be pretty rigid, very hierarchical, oriented toward task, pretty cautious. <laughs> closed, communication only goes in one direction, and and, uh, if people express their feelings, that's not really welcome in these kinds of settings. And those uh, theorize that we get a lot more done and we get more people engaged if we're more like the list of uh, bullets under the innovative heading which as you compare the two lists, you can see that those are really quite the opposite. Um, Innovative communities are where there's a lot of openness to new ways to think about things, new approaches. A little experimentation is good, is welcome. Um, Folks are taught to build consensus through collaborative strategies. Uh, Communication goes in a a variety of ways, and uh, with today's huge variety of communication capabilities, especially in social media, I think that is particularly important. Um, And I like the notion that um, people are expected to and are welcome to say how they feel. Um, And leaders are ambitious about asking people for their contributions, not only in a a task sense, um, are we getting done what we said we wanted to do, but also in the maintenance sense, again, uh, how do we feel about what we're getting done is, is, you know, does this feel right? Are we um, satisfied with what we're getting done, or do we need to rethink a bit how we're getting things done? So um, 
we're going to do a, a chat box activity, and what we're going to do is focus on the innovative community. We're going to leave the static community behind now for the purposes of this activity. And what we want you to do is type into the chat box uh, the kinds of things that you think an innovative community does. You know, if, uh, if we say innovation is good in a community setting, well, what does that mean? What's, what's evidence of an innovative community? Learning from the past, planning for the future. Thanks, Kathy. Samantha, do the unexpected. Very good. Breaking new ground, acting versus reacting, looking forward, uh, balance, preserve, create change, good. Celebration, love to see uh, reminders that celebration is good. Dreaming big, changing the norm, yeah, you bet. Asking people, thank you, Jill. Going beyond the well-worn. Going beyond our comfort level. So that's an interesting idea. Uh, inclu inclusive. Thank you, Peggy. Uh, thinking of creative ways to address problems and engage the community. Don't live in or relive the past. Although um, it doesn't mean that you know we shouldn't have some appreciation for our legacy, but it does mean we want to build from the past and embrace the future. A couple of you re, uh, remind us taking risks. Paul says, it's okay to ask an awkward question. Yes, absolutely. Ask lots of questions. Who's missing? Yeah. Some of you uh, read ahead in the textbook because I was going to get, I'm going to get to that in a bit. Transparency, openness to opinions other than your own. Thank you, Francis. Uh, valuing roles for people who uh, are often left out. Yes, you bet. And um, again, sometimes those of us who are real active in our communities are not as good at thinking of ways to include the disenfranchised. We, you know, we just aren't as confident at that. Uh, at least that's one of my ways of thinking about that, because uh, particularly if we're heavily engaged, we sort of assume everybody knows how to do that, uh, and they may not. Honoring elders, good, while inviting youth. Multi-generational connections, I think, are very important and be brought into that. Looking to highlight and uh, develop uh, others' strengths. Lots of opportunities for face-to-face -face interaction. Yeah, good. And, of course, we sort of uh, have surrounding us, again, lots of opportunities for virtual interaction. But, uh, um, you know, there's, uh, there's still no substitute for the face-to-face. -face. And uh, what was one of the ten megatrends, high-touch uh, and high-tech? I think was the way it was phrased in that uh, interesting futuristic look at the world from a couple of decades ago. Encouraging dialogue, valuing different points of view. Uh, 
embracing public spaces, I, I see was uh, suggested earlier. Connecting people of different cultures. Yeah, wow. Um, again, what a great thing to do and what a challenge for many of us. Recognizing controversy as an opportunity for dialogue. Yeah, I would say recognizing controversy and also uh, understanding that even conflict is an opportunity for growth if we don't just get bogged down in it to such an extent that we can't crawl back out of it. So, um, you know, the negatives are uh, things that we can help turn into positives. And again, I think that uh, your participation in the in this activity underscores that over and over again. Uh, Frank says all of the above. Thank you, Frank. And uh, and that's true. Again, um, selecting the ways to make our communities more open to a variety of perspectives is really good. Uh, uh, one of the things that I remember from a presentation I made uh, a number of years ago out in Wyoming to uh, the Wyoming Association of Municipalities, uh, WAM, uh, I was making a presentation uh, uh, on the Heartland Center's 20 Clues to Rural Community Survival, which uh, many of you may be familiar with. And uh, someone uh, in the back of the room in an agitated way was trying to get my attention, and finally I said, yeah, what is it? And, and the voice said, well, uh, I know what the problem is. And my response was, great, we all want to know what the problem is. So I said, what is the problem? And the response was, it's all those new people moving in. So I said, yeah, and what's the problem with that? And the next thing I heard was, well, some of them have ideas. And I thought, yeah, that's what's so great. Uh, we need ideas. Uh, we need new ideas. We need different ideas. And we need new faces and uh, more diversity not only in the faces, but also in the ages, the cultures, the ideas, and uh, the ways of approaching both challenges and opportunities. So uh, Becky reminds us that um, it's not only looking at best practices, but also encouraging and welcoming new ideas and uh, different ways of approaching things. Again, lots and lots of, uh, of great, great ideas from all of you. Thanks so much for um, jumping in and offering those great ideas. Be courageous enough to offer your ideas when they oppose the status quo. Yeah, that's a little hard. But um, but it's something that we all have to probably uh, work a little harder at than uh, we're willing to. You know, we all have our comfort zones. I have mine. You probably have yours. And anytime we 
move outside the comfort zone. I mean, there's a reason it's called a comfort zone. And the reason is it's uncomfortable when we move outside of it. And, uh, and so we tend to protect ourselves within that comfort zone. Okay, but if you want to move that uh, box out, thanks very much. That was great, just really great interaction. So what we're going to do is move on to um, eight challenges. Uh, we synthesized these eight challenges from our community practice, and uh, uh, we probably won't have time to deal with all of them, but I do want to uh, just mention a couple. Um, we've been talking about innovation and openness, and uh, uh, bullet number three, Rapids of Change. Uh, one of our mentors as we started the Heartland Center was a, a Scottish-born futurist named Robert Theobald. Bob wrote a book um, that he called The Rapids of Change, and, and uh, he used this as a metaphor for the situation that leaders find themselves in as the world becomes more complex. And, uh, and as the connections uh, get uh, not only more varied, uh, but uh, also uh, connect us in a, in a whole lot of different ways. He said that uh, leaders uh, oftentimes are in a boat going through the rapids, uh, down the Colorado River, or pick whatever rapids you want is your portion of this metaphor, and we would rather be in the helicopter that's flying over the rapids watching somebody else go through them. But we're down there, and his point was, we don't really know what's around the next bend, but we have to be prepared for it anyway. And I thought that was a real interesting way to think about how the leadership challenge continues to uh, vex us from time to time, as well as offer up uh, opportunities that are different than the ones we've been accustomed to in the past. Um, loss of confidence in institutions I thought about this morning. I usually have National Public Radio's news on in the mornings around my house or in the car, and one of the things I heard about today was uh, a uh, judge somewhere who had uh, really concluded that he wasn't going to trust uh, the government to be exactly uh, truthful about everything that they brought to his bench. And this had something to do with uh, national security, as I recall. So, you know, the institutional lack of of confidence is so great that we have key institutions that aren't even confident about other key institutions, at least as represented by that instance. And then uh, you probably are all saying, well, what does he mean by fear of assassination? Well, um, another of, uh, of the folks that uh, whose writings about leadership I've admired is a guy named Ron Heifetz, uh, also teaches at the JFK School. And, uh, I heard him uh, describe one time the notion that when you volunteer for leadership, is the way he put it, uh, you should know that a target is going up on your back. 
which means that um, you also need to understand that at some point, somebody's going to try to take it down a notch or two. And I thought that was just a, a good reminder that, um, you know, when we step forward for leadership, we take some risk. And it's also a good reminder to the rest of us that maybe we need to be a little more supportive from time to time of the people who do step forward and assume that risk. Um, because, uh, you know, a few people are playing the leadership game, especially in terms of public office holding, for example. Um, and... Uh, and the rest of us oftentimes just kind of stand by and watch and hope they do okay uh, or dive in if they don't. And uh, in my own case, I was on a local school board for a couple of terms. And at one point, we had quite a, a controversy going on with, uh, with our constituents um, as uh, our board was looking at closing some old and very out-of-date attendance centers and where uh, the students were actually within walking distance to much better facilities. Anyway, that created a lot of controversy in the older neighborhoods where um, these schools were located. And at one point, uh, I had people from a, a community group came to me and said, uh, we just want you to know that we're going to recall you. And my response was, oh, no, don't do that. I said, great, how soon can you get me out of this? <laughs> because it's becoming really stressful. And uh, and who, who do you think you would like to put in my place so I can prepare them for how to deal with people like you? Well, as you might imagine, the conversation didn't last much beyond that. So, um, you know, we need to understand that we're going to be under attack occasionally when we play a, a leadership role in our communities. And that leads me to suggest that um, we need to be a lot more open to strategies for recruiting new leaders. So I said a little bit ago, one of you said, who's missing? Well, that's the, the first bullet here. Uh, look around the table. Who's not here? Who's missing? Who do we need to have, um, in terms of community constituencies, engaged that's not here? Um, my good colleague, uh, Vicki Luther, who was uh, the other principal founder of the Heartland Center, always said, look for skills and not names. <clears throat> and uh, And by that, what she meant was, you know, when we go about thinking of recruiting somebody to help, we tend to think of the names of the people who have helped before, and that's natural. But uh, what we maybe need to do is be a little more clever about that and uh, think about what additional competencies we may need that aren't represented right now. Uh, I think today uh, people who volunteer want to be uh, they're really clear about what you're asking them to do. And um, and then um, we just think that time is such an important commodity that um, you got to be really careful about how you uh, use people's time. And so um, the idea that we call creating a history of 
uh, efficient use of time is really, really critical. And one of the ways that we try to do that in our own practice is to, um, put it simply, start community meetings on time and finish them early. And uh, many of you may have learned that when you do that, uh, you know, if if, uh, if you said the meeting was going to end at 9 o'clock and you're still going at a quarter after, the body language tells you how people are responding to that. But if you quit 15 minutes before the announced time, uh, a lot of folks stay around and keep talking anyway. So you're just giving them some of their time back. And uh, and we think that's that's an important thing to remember to do. So um, one other thing I wanted to touch on just a little bit is uh, how you get more people into leadership may depend upon what kind of deliberate approaches you take to strengthen leadership. And so the next series of slides have to do with uh, what I call approaches to community leadership development. If, if we want to go about strengthening leadership through skill enhancement or more participation or whatever, how do we do that? So here are the variety of ways that we see communities doing that. Um, one of the most visible is to do a uh, formal course of uh, study. And what I put in those bullets is sort of the typical way this gets played out. Um, a class of uh, 20 or so participants are recruited. They attend an all-day session once a month over eight or nine months. They engage in some kind of a class project, um, which, uh, which we think is really important for the team-building aspects of these this kind of programming. We think it's important for some kind of an alumni uh, group to be formed or alumni opportunities to be made available once people go through these kinds of courses. And then uh, finally, just a reminder is uh, make sure you have um, either young people involved in, uh, in the class as participants equal to their adult peers, or you may want to have a, a separate kind of leadership class for youth. We've seen it done successfully both ways. Um, I sort of favor having uh, high school youth, say, as members of, a, of the class with adult participants because I think that intergenerational interaction is really, really valuable. But again, there are a variety of ways to do it. Less formal activities, um, you know, you might anticipate uh, having some sort of mentoring relationship set up or maybe just shadowing opportunities. Uh, coaching is becoming more and more in vogue in community development practice. <laughs> and then um, um, I, I don't have a good catchy phrase for the the last bullet, but I want to give you an example. I was working in a real small town, about 400 people, and uh, one of the things that I kept picking up on was um, the uh, notion that people had a safe place to start. 
uh, working up a, a, a ladder of volunteerism. So I asked somebody finally that I had been talking to for quite a while, I said, so what's the starting place? And what he explained to me was that uh, they had an annual fall festival in this small community, and uh, the uh, seating along Main Street that they had worked up uh, over the years, and uh, this was in the days when the average hay bale was still small enough to sit on. It's not anymore, but it was then. Something called the bale committee was responsible for um, borrowing a flatbed trailer from a local farmer, and uh, also uh, then going out and picking up some bales, bringing them into town for the parade, setting them on Main Street and taking them back out when they're done. One day, anybody can figure this out. And eventually you work up a ladder toward more complexity, and uh, then you may you know, run for uh, city council or school board or mayor or something, and it turns out that this uh, gentleman that explained this to me at the time was a young business owner in the town where he grew up. He owned a grocery store. Later, he uh, ran for <coughs> a position as a state legislator and won, so I actually wrote an article about him as moving up the ladder from... Uh, Bail committee to uh, to state senator. That was Civic literacy is the term that uh, you might give to what is commonly called the Chamber of Commerce approach to leadership, and this is has to do with getting getting to know a lot more about your community. So you spend a day at the school, you spend a day with county government a day with the city government, maybe a day with the largest employer, a day with uh, uh, on a farm in the area. Uh, it's, it's really making sure you have a better understanding of how the community functions through key institutions, agencies, or types of business. Um, I like the idea of exchange visits. <laughs> with other communities, and uh, and another version of that is field days. Invite people to come to a community. Let uh, let all the communities do some showcasing, but the host community gets a a chance to really show off what they're doing in a big way. Um, special events. Uh, a lot of communities have an annual. Volunteer recognition, I really like those. I think they're important to uh, thank the people who have been stepping forward. You may build a celebration around that. Um, I uh, know one community, and their kind of annual deal is a town hall meeting. They review the priorities that were set out last year. They talk about what's gotten done and what hasn't. They talk about what they want to do in the future. Um, they reorganize their task force or committee structure if they need to, if they have such a thing, or maybe a, just things that get passed around among civic organizations and the elected uh, boards, however they organize it, and off they go for another year. And I threw into this uh, 
leadership camps because, you know, sometimes it's kind of fun to get away a little bit. And, uh, and away, you know, you can't really get away from your phone anymore like we used to. But um, you can get away from the typical surroundings, and I think that I think that's kind of cool. So again, we have uh, formalized courses of studies, informal activities, uh, approaches to getting to know your community, and then some special events as ways that you can go about deliberately uh, increasing the number of people in leadership, as well as um, making sure that you have uh, ways for folks to sort of refresh their leadership skill base. And um, and if you do that, what um, my friends uh, who spent a lot of time trying to figure out what the impacts of community leadership are tell me that um, what is really important is doing something to strengthen leadership not a, any particular thing. They tell me that basically anything that you do deliberately to strengthen leadership is going to increase the number and variety of people who play leadership roles. So again, quick look at uh, what we've been covering, but more importantly, what I want to do now is uh, throw this open to your questions and comments uh, that uh, feed off of what we've been talking about. So my friend Bud Reed's going to uh, put up a, a screen here that lets you type in any question or comment that you may have about all the content we've covered today or um, something else that uh, came to you as we were going through this today, and uh, and let's uh, spend, I think we have about 15 minutes left, if my clock is right, dealing with what's on your mind. So, um, Bud, um, what I don't see right off is where I'm supposed to type in my question. Am I missing something? And... Um, There we go. Okay. How do you regroup or create a group once you've been assassinated? Oh man. Well, why don't why don't we start with a really tough question? <laughs> um, well, I think uh, one of the things that it's important to remember is that every time uh, we change group membership a little bit, we bring some new energy to the group. So uh, one of my suggestions would be um, reframe the group in some way, shape, or form. Um, so maybe it's uh, maybe it's bringing some new members in. Maybe it's revisiting goals and objectives. Maybe it's doing some analysis about what led to this situation. Maybe it's bringing in a third party, somebody who hasn't been involved, and kind of use their, quote, ignorance as a, uh, as a way to help you see the picture in a different way. Uh, I'm, I'm, always, uh, I'm always impressed by uh, 
what I learn from people who um, haven't been in the stream I'm in day in and day out. I had a friend who once reminded me that, um, you know, we're kind of, this goes back maybe to the to the rapids metaphor a little bit, but, you know, we're, we're in our organizational or community stream all the time, and some people are stepping in and out of that stream, and some people really haven't stepped in at all yet. And maybe what we need to do is get folks that have um, that have not been as involved to join us, even temporarily, and bring some uh, different perspectives to the table. Um, Kathy's question, suggestions on bringing disenfranchised people. Um, yeah, I want to. I'll share with you a, a, a tactic that I use quite successfully uh, in a project that I was doing in a quite diverse uh, community setting. Um, we were trying to help a uh, a uh, business corridor that was being transformed into a very culturally diverse business community, and uh, the the two new kind of players were uh, uh, largely Vietnamese and Latino. And um, I succeeded in, uh, in getting pretty good participation out of the Vietnamese community. And the way I did that was I did two things. I, I hired a uh, graduate student from a nearby university who was native uh, Vietnamese to go door to door to all the Vietnamese businesses and ask them to participate and give them suggestions on how they could and be very encouraging about how welcoming we all were to their engagement. And, uh, and then we also printed a newsletter for the project in three languages, English, Spanish, and Vietnamese. Um, I didn't succeed as well with the uh, Latino-Hispanic uh, business owners. And the difference was that uh, I, I couldn't find a parallel person to this uh, young Vietnamese lady to go door to door. Um, I tried to work through the uh, Spanish-speaking uh, church leaders in the neighborhood. Um, couldn't really get them engaged in an effective way. So we didn't have a way to make that, that personal connection. And so I guess my overall suggestion is that you really need to find ways to get opinion leaders um, or um, situational leaders from the disenfranchised community to be your um, voice and arm and uh, and representative with the, their constituents to help build a measure of trust that will make them comfortable as uh, as being a part of the overall effort. I think this is tough work, by the way, and um, as you can see, I fess up right away saying uh, 
in that instance, I was successful on one side and not very successful uh, on the other. Um, the, uh, the point about making leaders, existing leaders more effective, um, if you can get uh, existing leaders to engage in some additional skill building or capacity building, um, that is probably my first out of the box uh, suggestion. But let me also um, say with a bit of, of uh, experienced skepticism <laughs> that um, sometimes it's hard to get effective leaders to take time out for additional skill building. I mentioned I was on a school board for a number of years and I was active in the state uh, association of school board members and we had a heck of a time getting um, those uh, elected local leaders to engage in skill building activities and what they told me, you know, up front a lot was, well, if we weren't leaders, we wouldn't have been elected. So I guess we know what we're doing. <laughs> and uh, uh, it was just a reality that we had to face. So we tended to attach the skill building opportunities to the other things that they were better at coming out for, like legislative forums. Uh, everybody wants to impact on public policy. So we could get folks to come to those, and then we would add a little um, skill building or capacity building onto it. Um, Francis says, how do we encourage uh, others to make paradigm shift? Well, um, yeah. the uh, w One of the things that we're all good at is uh, deferring to the people who are in the positions of leadership, you know. Um, and assuming they, they know the right thing to do. And, of course, what we ought to be better at is uh, staying active uh, as their constituents or the community stakeholders so that um, we continue to try to help the people who are uh, in leadership roles understand that uh, things are changing and it's a new world and it continues to be a new world every day and it requires some different skills and different attitudes. And I guess, uh, I guess again, you know, a lot of this stuff is hard. I mean, I don't know another way to say it. I I think this these are things you kind of have to just keep working at. Um, one of the... Uh, one of the folks that I admired greatly as we were uh, starting the Heartland Center uh, now nearly 30 years ago was a regional historian who said, uh, you know, think of the people who came out here and looked across the Great Plains, which, you know, on the maps, this part of the country at the time was called the, the Great American Desert, literally. And, um, and it was referred to in day-to-day uh, -day lingo, uh, sometimes as a vast wasteland. So this historian's perspective, his name was Robert Manley, said, so what did it take for people to come out here, look across this prairie where they saw nothing? I mean, literally, there weren't any trees. 
there was nothing except native grasslands, um, as far as the eye could see. And how did how did those people come to be what he called community builders? And the point he made was that it takes a combination of vision and persistence. And I always like the way those two terms go together, vision and persistence. You know, it takes seeing the future um, in a different way, the new paradigm, however you want to define that. But beyond that, it also takes our willingness to stick with it. We just got to stay with it. And um, a lot of us give up too early. Um, we're not getting into it a, a lot in today's session, but if you if you read um, uh, the literature around leadership of change, what is it what what is it like to be a leader of change or a change agent? One of the things that appears a lot in that literature, uh, both in the practice forms of it as well as in the research forms of it, is that change agents give up too early. And, um, and you know, we all wear out. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and just staying with it is a hard thing to do, but I think that's why it's so important for us to get uh, new people. And somebody had asked the uh, how do we bridge the the generational gap? And, you know, I think one way we, we do that is to respect the people that have been doing the job enough to help them figure out how to turn over the reins in a uh, comfortable way to the next generation of leaders. And, uh, you know, as, as I talk to the good old boys, the ones that are out there doing it, um, and some of them are hanging on too long, but the truth of the matter is most of them would be relieved if they knew who they could hand the mantle to. One of the really things I heard the other day, I was talking to a mayor in a small town in Iowa, been a mayor for quite a while. Uh, he actually got beat by a, a, a younger person who ran against him, and instead of uh, instead of uh, running into the bushes and hiding, what he did was to go to that young person and say, what would you think if I uh, agreed to mentor you a little bit as you worked into this position? I'll tell you everything I know. I thought, wow, couldn't, why couldn't we have more, more models of leadership like that? Uh, that's wonderful. So um, we've had a great discussion. Uh, I really appreciate all of the ways that you have all chimed in. And um, and I, I always learn a lot, and I hope you learned a lot as well. But uh, let me turn it, this uh, gavel back to to Fran for uh, a little closing. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, go ahead, Marlon. Where we are today and where we're going down the road with Community Matters. Go ahead, friend. Okay. Thank you so much, Mylon. Um, you've covered so much ground, and uh, I know people are so interested in this topic. Um, so I uh, want to thank Mylon Wall. You can go to the Heartland Center for Leadership Development. Um, 
check out that website and him for um, more information there. Um, it was a terrific and engaging webinar. Um, and I, I think I can hear the virtual applause from coast to coast. Uh, so thank you all for joining us and being patient through a few brief glitches with a new platform. Uh, we have a lot of resources that we're going to gather from this presentation and others. You'll find a podcast of this webinar and responses to some of the questions we might have missed at our website, www.communitymatters.org. You might also want to check out earlier webinars. I know people ask some questions about communications and engagement, and there are a number of webinars uh, we've done earlier that you can listen to or look at the notes um, to get more uh, clarity and detail around some of those questions. There are also, um, as I was listening, we have a lot of youth engagement resources at Orton.org um, for those that were interested in how to get more youth involved. Caitlin also said that she would gather resources mentioned um, today by Mylan, but he has just in his head so many books and authors uh, for you to check out. Uh, she will send out a blog with that list of resources. So I'd like to, to thank SIR, the Citizens Institute on Rural Design, and the Orton Family um, Foundation folks who run the back room so well and make these sessions possible. Thank you all for participating. We hope you join us next time. The March call will be Thursday, March 13th. It will focus on community broadband networks. These are publicly owned utilities that deliver high-speed Internet services. A lot of small towns are still struggling uh, to get those into their um, areas, and they are so um, important for today and certainly looking for the future. So tune in for that March 13th. We'll have more information um, in the next few weeks coming to you about that call and future calls. So we wish you a capable and engaged um, emerging leadership that will take you into a bright future. Thank you all for participating. See you next time. Bye-bye.